0: the linkedin podcast network is sponsored by medtronic medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life transforming health tech from ai to robotics and beyond we're reinventing what's possible and we're just getting started visit medtronic.com to learn more Lastly, our team conducts negotiation and conflict resolution trainings in the United States and abroad. Our trainings will give you the practical skills you need to resolve conflict, negotiate, lead, and persuade with confidence. Click the link in the description below to learn more about how we can make your difficult conversations easier. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, It's my pleasure. I've waited
1: because I know you stalk me online. So (laughs) I've waited a long time for this. And uh, this this
0: is going to be fun. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. So let's start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do yeah thank
1: you so for 25 years i i worked for the fbi mostly working counterintelligence so i was a spy catcher and then 15 of those years i spent in this uh very small unit um uh, this elite unit within the fbi called the behavioral program and um and, and that was created to take a look at spies and see how we can get into their heads and recruit them and, uh, you know, negotiate with them. And, uh, and, and uh, after I retired from the FBI, um, I started writing books and uh, never intended for that to happen. And, um, and now 14 books later, I'm, I'm here with you, buddy. I'm here with you. <laughs>
0: I love it, and and everybody. Um, I, I have to say, uh, my favorite book uh, from Joe is the um, "What Everybody Is Thinking." And um, I know the listeners who have been listening for a while. They say, "Yes, Kwame, we know you talk about it <laughs> all the time." And I was, I was just talking to Joe and, and saying yeah. I was reviewing my notes recently on the book, and it's twenty-four pages of notes, size eleven sp- font, uh, and single space. So, wow, um, highly recommend checking out anything that is published (laughs) by this man and Uh, you have a a new book coming out too. So can you tell us about that too?
1: Yeah, thanks. So, you know, over the years, people kept asking me, yeah, you know, you write about human behavior, you write about body language and nonverbal communications. Why don't you write something that brings it all together? And, um, and so I did. So I, I took a year and a half uh, off to write um, the, the book be exceptional Uh, which comes out uh, June 29th, is the encapsulation of about 35 years of study of what really sets individuals apart. And obviously that is their behavior, how they do things. And um, so it's, um, it's it's a good way to take a look at the science that's out there and the artistry of how we can differentiate ourselves, how we can take control of ourselves and use the strategies, and, the, and but in particular, the behaviors that truly exceptional people uh, all share. And that's something that I've been studying for a, a long time. So I'm, I'm excited for the, uh, the,
0: the book to come out. Absolutely. Me too. And I, I think something that's you'll see for the listeners, um, I'm going to constantly pull this back to negotiation, mm-hmm. but the, what's going to happen is that you're going to see the commonalities of what it takes to be exceptional in whatever realm you happen to be in. And I think that's, what's right. so exciting about this approach.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think you're exactly right because, you know, I, I think someone, uh, said that if you're human, you're negotiating all the time. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I, and I, and I, and I, th- I think you're right. Uh, you know, I, I think that no day goes by that we are not parsing something uh, in some way trying to gain or not necessarily an advantage, but um, to, to, um, to work something out. And so much of that has to do with communication, so much of that has to do, you know, we forget good manners is a nonverbal, that uh, talking to someone with kindness is a nonverbal, it's, you know, it's not the words, it's it's the, uh, the manner. And so I think a lot of negotiation that we do uh, day in, day out. And, uh, you know, um, shall I tell them that story? The, uh, the, uh... Yes, please do. <laughs> all right. So I, I can't say the country, but, you know, people ask me all the time, well, you know, you, you're teaching, uh, uh, you come out and you teach negotiations and so forth, and your, your approach is a little different. And I say, it's no different um, than, than what you do every day. Only the stakes are a little different. So one of the things that I was tasked to do uh, when I was in the FBI, watch, which was to target individuals who were intelligence officers for other countries who were operating here, what the public calls spies, and to try and recruit them so that they would come and, and work for us. And so a lot of times, you know, I would run into these individuals here and there and sort of make myself known and so forth, but never really um, uh, uh, them directly because sometimes they were being followed or they themselves, um, might take some action against me. So sometimes we would try and pick out where would be a great place to run into these individuals. And sometimes it was in what we call denied areas of the world. And those were areas where you knew that if, 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 the minute you land, you may be under surveillance and so forth. So we would find places to, um, you know, run into these, these individuals. Now, you know, you and I have talked uh, about negotiations and planning and, and everything that the preparation and so forth. But sometimes, you know, in, in one case, I only had seven minutes. I had seven minutes between the you know, the moment that this, uh, this individual's plane landed in a country, I won't say, and his connecting flight. And so I had to figure out, you know, through observation, which is what the, really a lot of the book is about, is what are his tendencies? How does he walk? Um, you know? That w- would it be best to just confront him directly, you know, by approaching him from the front, or as I finally did by walking up beside him and sort of looking over at him and smiling? And he, you know, he had this look of surprise, but it's like, I can't even believe you're here, dude. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, just keep walking, don't say any word. And uh, meanwhile, I'm just walking like I'm another passenger, and therein begins the negotiations. I, you know, it was one of these things where I didn't have to say who I was. He knew at that moment, finally, who I was, and uh, you know, convince him, negotiate that I want to meet with you if you will, but tell me. Um, uh, you know, where that might be possible. And the fact that he walked alongside of me, the fact that we never changed the pace, that he didn't confront me or anything. And, um, and sure enough, the next time he, he, um, we had that opportunity. um, He did it in a rather clear way. He knew I was nearby. And rather than take um, the gum that he was chewing and throwing it in the garbage can, he uh, took the gum and he wrapped it around a piece of paper and he laid it on the edge of the garbage bin. <laughs> and, uh, and that set the, um, the meeting for the eventual uh, cooperation with me. And you know, I, I look at, back at that and I think of you know, the companies that I've helped with in, in, in negotiations and the planning, the, the articulation, the craftsmanship of, well, who's going to approach, who will uh, enter the room first, who will be speaking when, when the lead negotiator is speaking, what is everybody else doing? It, Cause you know, are you just sitting there, you know, are you going to use your hands to gesture? Are you going to nod in agreement or are you going to sit directly in front of, of the other person in a stare contest which i don't recommend and uh so a lot a lot of a lot of similarities obviously um, you know we're dealing with nation state actors but um the craftsmanship
0: that you use um is 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 the same yeah This is fantastic. And again, this what you've taken what you've done is you've taken what we know about psychology, human interaction and persuasion, and you've taken it to the next level by understanding human behavior Um, In a way that puts you in a position where you can accomplish your goal, whatever the goal happens to be in that situation. And that's why it's so transferable, because you're using using these skills in the highest of stakes interactions, um, counterintelligence, spies, Mm -hmm. double agents and those type of things. But the same psychology applies at the boardroom as well in these business negotiations.
1: Yeah, the same psychology. You know, keep in mind, a lot of times in negotiations, you're dealing uh, with corporations and they have their own sort of mentality or history, but then you have the history or what I call the luggage of individuals. You know, um, I was in negotiations uh, down in Broward County where these folks, uh, the county and, and another entity, are in every three years, they're in negotiations, and they have so much luggage. And this is where unpacking that and understanding that we have to deal with um, that emotional luggage, and we have to park it, you know, that the concept of, you know, put the ego aside, well, that's all said and good, but it's, it's not that easy that you have to understand the, the personalities and then how to best approach each other. And sometimes having the right person make the right presentation um, is, is going to be the surest winner rather than uh, you know having somebody else uh, doing it. So there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously, the, the more important the negotiation, the
0: higher the stakes,
1: uh, the more effort that, uh, that you
0: can put into it absolutely and and joe in your opinion what are some of the biggest psychological mistakes that people make during negotiation does your company invest in professional development training if you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop all you need to do is go to our website fill out the workshop request form and then we'll set up a time to chat these workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country
1: Oh, I love that question. Thank you. I think the biggest mistake is thinking that little things don't matter. Oh, if, if I could, you know, if I could, you know, say, hello, McFly, these, every little thing is important. Um, from the moment you walk in, how you set up the meeting, how you greet the staff, um, you know, ha- saying hello to the security guards, the receptionists, everything else, um, being attentive to, to, to others in the smallest of ways, being polite, uh, shaking hands, um, being mindful not to elevate emotions, um, Uh, Something so simple, uh, you know, you and I were talking recently about that um, we can increase face time with each other if we but would just angle each other a little bit because to look at each other straight on is in effect very antagonizing. And the, the minute that we can just sort of, even if it's just rotating a little in the chair, we can just soften the mood um, turn yielding, uh, making it an art form that, you know, I'm going to let you speak and I'm going to let you speak fully and completely. And then I, uh, hopefully you will yield and then it'll be my turn. And these little things that, um, You know, I mean, I can tell you all the horror stories of people in negotiation and somebody's, you know, working their phone or somebody's picking their ear and you say, no, I I can't believe I'm I'm seeing this. And uh, and that's because nobody has told them that um, everything in the theater of negotiations matters, everything and, um, you know, from, from, you know, facial reactions, right? So we, we often talk about facial reactions and somebody will throw out a number and immediately you'll see the wrinkled nose and, you know, the shaking head. And, and right away, now you've got to deal not just with the possibility of a no, but you're dealing with someone who is, demonstrating this, which makes it even more difficult because now you have to overcome this display and so forth. So it's that, I would say it's that recognition that the, the small things uh, uh, don't matter. I think most people in negotiations work the facts and work the, but you know, I, I know in the FBI we would r- literally rehearse, Um, you know how we would walk in who would walk in first where we would sit who looks at 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 whom how are things transacted who will say what words Um, all because um, you know in the theater of of the interview or the theater of negotiations it's the small things that uh, that really matter
0: you're absolutely right and it I think that's one of the, the most interesting things about what you bring to the table with your expertise to really hammering home that reality. And I think about the, uh, one of the classic sayings from chess is every move has a purpose. You don't just make moves for the sake of moving <laughs> the, the pieces. There's always a reason behind it. A-
1: absolutely. For instance, when do we call recess? When do we take us, when do we ask for a break? When do we stop sitting down? I remember I was uh, uh, giving a lecture at, uh, up, up north at a really prestigious university, and they were shocked when I when I said, "Well, why don't why don't we just get up from the chair?" And it's like like what? Yeah, why why are we why do we have to remain sitting? Just get up from the chair. Put the chair in front of you. You still got the conference room there and decide that you want to stand and 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 talk about what you're passionate about. Why are you talking passionately about something sitting down, um, you know, and it's how we orchestrate that, you know, the the use of the hands to to explain, to envelop, to 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 demark that we're talking about one thing and that we have studied it uh, carefully, um, dynamically, and that we have made a decision of how we're going to proceed. Just those gestures potentiate the message. Can you imagine if I had just said that with my hands on my lap? It, it would lose its its meaning. And yet we know that when you use gestures, and you combine it with, for instance, a certain cadence of speech that people just can't, can't stop but, uh, but listening to you. And, uh, and
0: that's a great way to reveal your commitment to, to what you're saying. So everybody now you have a reason to follow our YouTube page so you can see Joe explaining <laughs> with these gestures because it it this is going to maybe it doesn't sound silly maybe this is the point but it was almost hypnotic right i was so in i was so almost invested in what it is that you were saying it certainly did have a much greater impact when you started to focus on the way that you were gesticulating
1: yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things that I found with exceptional uh, uh, speakers was their use of their hands. You know, I, I look at Colin Powell, uh, who, uh, you know, is, is really one of the great uh, speakers out there. He's a, a great thinker, a thought leader, and obviously a, a great general and secretary of, uh, of of state. And you look at how he used gestures to really uh, powerfully message and, um, you know, throughout history, we, we have seen uh, great examples of that. And I, I find too many executives know the numbers, but don't know how to communicate uh, that information uh, uh, powerfully. Um, that, you know, the, the fact that I can tell you that, look, this, this is our best offer, right? So now you're up against a wall. And my, th- my thumbs are in a gravity-defying position. This is it. <laughs> there's, there's no more movement here. I am not vacillating. I, 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 you know, I'm not in any way um, uh, going to ch- change my mind. That's it. That puts an end to the back and forth. You've reached that point where say, guys, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is it. And that message... Of uh, visual uh, as well as uh, vocal uh, becomes much more powerful and, and,
0: uh, and they have to react to it. And it, it makes so much sense because when you think about everything as communication, we have right. our voice as communication, right. our demeanor as communication, our tone, our intonation, our body language, what we're wearing, all of those I- things are communicating a message.
1: Absolutely. The, the, the clothing that we, we wear, the, the, like you said, the gestures, the, uh, something so simple as, you, know, how I reach for something, right? So the, the person that's jittery versus the person that reaches for it smoothly, the higher we are, the more competent and confident we are in an organization, the smoother our gestures the lower we are the more tentative we are the more jittery the, the gesture so we would literally uh, rehearse all right so now we've been at this for two and a half hours i'm going to reach for that glass of water and it's going to be smooth and i'm going to drink it think of how many people have been criticized because uh, they've been seen on the media where they go to grab water and it's shaking. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I mean, I I've seen Silicon Valley people I've seen, you know, heads of state doing this, not realizing that that tell that behavior is, is unsettling. And as I said, in the theater of negotiation, everything matters, everything matters.
0: You yeah. know, what I started thinking, Joe, is I'm thinking about humans as animals. And mm-hmm. I think it becomes more interesting, even more interesting if you think about us like animals. So we would watch Animal Planet, uh, National Geographic, those type sure. of things. And we're looking at the mannerisms of the animals. And right. oh, this means that this means this. This is a dominance display. And then if you think about us as animal, we, we are animals, biologically speaking. Right. And so we're going to be responding to the same cues that the the animals out in the jungle would be as well on point on point
1: we are a we are just another species we are primates right and we respond to the alphas we respond to the hierarchy displays um you know this is why we we dress up this is why instead of having a big pen in our pockets, we have the Mont Blanc or, or whatever, because we're sensitive uh, to these things. and But we're also sensitive to the gestures that come with higher status. So, you know, the higher status individual can engage in more eye contact. I, I have seen negotiators w- walk into a room and they're so daunted by it all that all they do is look straight ahead and never looking around, not realizing that uh, they're, they're limiting uh, their, uh, their ability to project confidence because they don't take the moment to look around and look at everybody present and in essence, as we learned in law enforcement, you know, I, I'm not scared of, of this room. I am confident in, in myself. And and so just eye gaze behavior, you know, the, the turn yielding that I spoke of, um, even for instance, instead of saying, uh, uh, no, Kwame, go ahead, saying, Kwame, go ahead. Let, let, let's hear what you have to say. Whoa. I, I am now. <laughs> I am now taking charge without you knowing that I'm taking charge by doing these these gestures that are consistent with turn yielding, and yet all of a sudden I'm the invited guest, and now I am, uh, you know, capitalizing on on, on those powerful behaviors we are, as you said, we are just another species and we are
0: sensitive to the smallest of, uh, of things. Yeah. This is brilliant. And so one of the questions that I've, I've gotten before um, when I was doing trainings, um, uh, a young woman said, well, I'm, I'm a lawyer mm-hmm. and I'm in these difficult conversations, these negotiations all the time. Right. Right. And um, I'm usually the youngest in the room one of the few women in the room, and I am five feet tall. Mm -hmm. And so I'm significantly smaller, physically smaller than the other people in the room. And like you said, Joe, there's an everything has an impact. And so people are going to perceive that size difference. So what can somebody who is smaller do to make it so that the discrepancy in size doesn't create some kind of power dynamic that doesn't work for them?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. This, this is one that I'm often asked. And, you know, one of the greatest example that I have is, um, uh, Mary Erdos, uh, which is, uh, who is with, uh, JP Morgan. You know, when you listen to Mary Erdos, you, you know, you think she's six, five. <laughs> well, you know, she's probably only about five, three, five, four, but it's how she carries herself. And so what I tell people is, uh, yes, there is a height dividend, just as there's a beauty dividend, but we can compensate. And the first thing we can do is compensate by walking in with that presence where nothing and no one is off limits for you to look at, that you talk with, with, with confidence, but with a lord voice. Right, so this is you know in the military they, I know the Marines do this, they send you out into the field and they say find your milit, you know your your Marine voice and you you know your that gravelly sort of voice, and and we had and in law enforcement I had to learn that that lower voice because when we're nervous you know I don't want people to hear me say stop you're under arrest right (laughs) that that, that's not going to turn out well for anybody but you learn you learn to when you are under stress that you're going to lower the voice and you say stop right there do not move And uh, this is one of the things that that I coach often is working on that voice that, you know, obviously you're not going to, you know, sound, uh, you know, as deep as maybe a man's, but lowering the voice, people will listen. Speaking, especially for women, speaking in cadence. In other words, saying, I have a proposal. And that proposal is that we take into account everything that we've talked about thus far today, but also take into account everything from yesterday. The fact that you can talk in cadence means you're owning it. This is this is temporal. This is uh, uh, temporal dominance. <laughs> it's like I'm not going to hurry for you. I'm not going to go blah, 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 just, just for you. There's going to be temporal dominance and I'm going to own this, this minute. Um, How you sit, you know, a lot of women tend to steeple and do hand gestures, very low elevating those and then making sure that nothing is said without uh, there being some gestures and what will happen is you will be perceived if, if we then, and we've done this, if, if we then went throughout the room and said, how tall do you think she is? They're going to give, they're going to put five inches on you <laughs> because it's a matter of perceptions. It's a matter of how you, you, uh, you are perceived. And one last thing, and that is increase the vocabulary. Make sure that you have a more, um, uh, a, a, um, not a, a dominant vocabulary, but a more robust vocabulary. Because one of the things that happens, our species, we humans, respond to whoever has that better vocabulary. Hmm. And we will always be that way. And whether we're, we're listening to a beautiful uh, uh, poet, whether we're listening to Churchill, uh, you know, the, 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 the eloquence, the sheer uh, beauty of, of uh, Martin Luther King, it's that command of words immediately elevates you. And, uh, you know, as, as Wittgenstein said, the, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. And so you are self-limiting if you have a limited vocabulary. So I'm increasing the vocabulary so that um, uh, you project that—that—that's—that would—that's that, that, that's, you know—that's pretty much what what I teach. That we can change. We can we can change the the perceptions, um, um, and you know, and uh, as you know, Kwame, a lot of this stuff. It's not about spending money on on doing anything. It's about changing the behaviors. It's about changing what we do in that uh, theater of the um, of the interview. Um, you know, it, it, you're you're up against somebody that's just being hard headed and so forth. Why are we still sitting here if 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 this ball is not moving in any direction? Stand up, move around the room. Change the dynamic to see if that helps to move the um, the ball along.
0: I love this, and Joe, I have to let you know you are the first person to quote Ludwig uh, Wittgenstein (laughs) Wittgenstein uh, (laughs) on the on the the, uh, podcast. So I appreciate that. One of my favorite quote from Wittgenstein is, um, "If a lion could speak, you couldn't understand him," and it makes me think about some of the cultural differences that people can have in these difficult conversations, and then what we could possibly do to overcome that and create connection in spite of those differences.
1: Oh, uh, uh, very different uh, when it comes to culture, you know, and in America we have cultures within cultures within cultures. You can, you can go from Manhattan to Brooklyn and uh, have you know they're using different words, different concepts. You you go to uh, the the Midwest and the West and so forth. I I th- I think this is and, and, you know and if, and and I appreciate this because this is one of the things that's covered in the book is that we have to listen to the words that are used. That we have to understand those words. That if if I you know, Joe Navarro, who's now almost 70, you know, for me, I grew up using the word, you know, it's a problem. You know, now people say, well, it's an issue. No, it's a problem. (laughs) And, and the fact that you are not receptive to my concept of, of this we have to take each other into account and say where's this you know i mean i have negotiated with people in france in romania uh in the middle east in in latin america and so forth and we have to have that understanding and the best thing i i I have found is you know can you explain to me what you mean by this because i really want to understand where you're where you're coming from and just I love to front my ignorance. I won't hesitate to let you know just, you know, how clever I can be. But I don't mind fronting my ignorance and saying, gosh, you know, I've never heard of that. What do you what do you mean? Oh, I see. So and then you and what happens is when we when we get others to explain to us things, they're becoming are cooperators you're in essence getting them to cooperate with you um it's it's kind of like as you know i know you know you know like benjamin franklin asking his enemies to do him a favor and then they became best friends and and there's something about the psychology of it where I don't, I don't mind saying, you know, when you talk about equities, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean by equities? Is it, is it just what you own or the fat, you know, get them to, uh, to, to explain things. And I think, I think, yeah, we do. Well, I think we have two responsibilities. One is to really understand what the other person is saying. You know, when they say, I hate this, let's unpack that. Um, And the second one is that we have to come across at times as very neutral so that we are perceived as someone who is at least reasonable and not obdurate and not um, contentious. So uh, that's one of our responsibilities also.
0: This is great. This is really great. And one of the things, I want to take this all the way back to the beginning. This was something Mm. that you said about the book, Be Exceptional. And you're trying to figure out what sets people apart. Mm. And you settled on, of all of the things, under the sun, you settled on behaviors. Powerful behaviors.
1: Powerful behaviors that in studying individuals over, you know, four decades uh, because I was in this uh, behavioral program in the FBI that that it all it all came down to behaviors. You know, these individuals had mastery over their own behaviors. They weren't allowing things to get to them. They weren't blowing up and throwing a fit and so forth, their behaviors were within that uh, within that realm that others could respect. That doesn't mean they don't have a bad day, but that means that overwhelmingly they had mastery over themselves, that they were able to create an apprenticeship program, no matter how, how much adversity they faced. They created their own apprenticeship program, whether it was going to the library and reading books or calling people up and talking to them. But they created, you know, people talk about, oh, find your bliss. Well, you know, when Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist, uh, talked in, um, in The Power of Myth, when he talked about um, finding your bliss, he wasn't saying, like, sit in a chair and it's going to come to you. He was talking about creating an apprenticeship where you could achieve that and that takes all the behaviors focus dedication uh, you know the uh, the will and so forth and then the other behaviors had to do with this other area which is you know in negotiations you're doing this the whole time which is observing observing what are the the needs wants and desires but also what are their preferences Right. You, you you have a negotiations and, you know, all of a sudden you show up, you know, with donuts and 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 uh, and coffee and, and, you know, they only drink diet, you know, diet foods and, and tea. Um, I, I've seen, nego- you know, people just roll their eyes like, you know, I'm on a diet, buddy. You know, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to eat this. I mean, they literally look at you like, is this it? The, the, you know, uh, so and. Can we observe concerns and fears? You know, I was just interviewed yesterday for a magazine article, and they said, you know, now that we're coming back to, to, a lot of us are coming back to work, I said, watch out. This concept of being able to uh, perceive Our preferences, you're going to have people that are going to be uncomfortable standing too close. You're going to have people that are going to be uncomfortable shaking hands too soon. You're going to have people uncomfortable uh, because, you know, somebody's wearing a mask and somebody isn't. And we have to take responsibility for that and say, look, if if success is measured by our ability to communicate with each other, we've got to create an environment where we have an appreciation for preferences, because frankly, you know, I don't want somebody standing too close to me, not right now. And we have to be able to perceive that. And that requires uh, observations. And then the one thing that no negotiator will tell you is what they fear and yet that's in counterintelligence, that's always what we were looking for. What does this person fear? And when you can identify what that fear is, then you can appreciate somebody's final price point. You can appreciate somebody's decision uh, schema and, uh, and so forth. And, you know, the other part of, 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 of what exceptional people had was this ability to communicate. And it, you know, they didn't have to be Churchill and they didn't have to be Lincoln. It was just, you know, do they have the ability to comfort and, and put an arm around you and show you love? There's a, there's a, a, a crossing guard, not three blocks from here. And every day those kids go by and give this lady a hug. You're telling me that that isn't more powerful than, than, than words. Those those kids live for that. And so we we have to realize that words can only do so much, that we as a species for at least 300 or 400,000 years, you know, communicated non-verbally. We had to communicate silently because we were surrounded by predators. And so we had to move through the savannas, through the jungles quietly, but we had to do it effectively. And that's why nonverbals still dominate. That's why they are so important, even in, in this day and age. And then, of course, exceptional people, they act immediately, but also pro socially. And you don't realize the effect of that is. But imagine you go to a business and you got to go through security, then you got to go through receptionist, then you go through the personal assistant, and finally you get into the individual's office you want to see. You want to change things around, meet the person that's important to you at, 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 at the curbside. If you're a negotiator and you're waiting for them to arrive, right, what, what message are, are, are you, you setting? I meet them at, at the curbside, and now we're, we're putting coins in that bank that says, you know what? We have an opposite take. We have other, you know, we have responsibilities that may not come together, but I value you. And that's why I'm waiting out here, waiting for you. And that changes the negotiations. What are they gonna talk about the break? God, that Joe Navarro, he was waiting for us down here. That's, that's really nice. No, nobody else does that. These small things, you know, believe me, in, in counterintelligence, we use these techniques all the time because you've got no other leverage than to use these little powerful things That your grandmother or or maybe a a grandfather, you know, threw a ball at you or gave you a piece of candy. And that created this, this next area, which is the final area of the book, which is the power of creating psychological comfort. And when you have psychological comfort, you can achieve anything because humans gravitate towards psychological comfort. And whoever provides that is going to win. It's going they're going to win because our species dislikes the noise, dislikes the animosity, dislikes the tension. And so we gravitate towards that person that um, that provides it, whether or not we realize it or not. We like that um, in in others and, and those that provided. And that's what exceptional people taught me that um, it's not about how much you earn or anything like that. It's a, about how you, uh, you treat others.
0: Joe, this is fantastic. I, I, like I told you before, I've already uh, pre-ordered the book. and I'm, I'm so excited for this. And um, so before you go, when we think about the people in the audience, they're having these difficult conversations with their friends, their colleagues, their family members. Right. Um, they're negotiating high stakes deal. What is one thing that you would suggest that they do to start becoming exceptional at their craft?
1: I, you know, there's obviously there's thousands of things that I could say, but if, if there's one powerful thing in it, and it's, and it's the simple nonverbal is just simply sit next to them, tilt your head, cant your s- head slightly, which communicates I may have an agenda, but I'm being receptive to you and query it. Do a benign query. Tell me about what you're thinking, what you know, what drove you to this? What is behind this? Try to understand without imposing what you have to say. One of the things that I, I learned in, with, in dealing with other nation state actors is that they had reason to hate us. They had reason to uh, not cooperate with us. But when I gave them the opportunity to vent or to let me understand their position and, and not immediately interpose myself, but to give it time, I found that that was a powerful elixir. And of of all the things that I could talk about, I think this is one where, you know, we talk about active listening. Active listening, that, yeah, that's fine. That's 1980s stuff. I'm talking about benign curiosity. uh, Benign curiosity is infinitely more powerful. And it and, and its and its effects are so dramatically more um, more um, demonstrable because benign curiosity is something that we rarely get, and uh, and we treasure that.
0: Wow, I've never heard it described as benign curiosity. I think that's that's it's brilliant in its simplicity. And for you, when you think yeah. about the term "benign curiosity," how are you conceptualizing that? Well, something so simple
1: as I, 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 I get into a foreign city, and um, you know, I, I, I get in a cab or whatever, and uh, and uh, you know, I may ask the uh, the the person, uh, you know, what, what is that on the? Oh, that's that's really cool. Um, I may ask them, um, you know, I was born overseas. So to me, uh, I, you know, fl- there, nobody in Florida was born. It comes from Florida. Everybody in Florida is a is, <laughs> is, is from somewhere else. So I'm always asking uh, folks, where's your family from? And I, I always get a positive response. Oh, really? Lebanese. Oh, I love Lebanese food. Best candy in the world. Best candy in the world. And, and you know, and they just you know, and open up, but in negotiations, benign curiosity is a, a demonstrable attempt on my part to understand their position, to understand this is how we value it. What most people, or most people make the mistake is they immediately begin to challenge. No, I don't wanna challenge, that will come. I want them to voice how they got to this place and in doing so they may also reveal the weaknesses in their argument well we consulted experts and and you know and we think that this is where it's uh, the value point where oh, there's a lot to impact there you know, it's like, well, I mean, that's that's fantastic. So you've been looking at this for years. Right. And you've been doing and the, the more interested you are in in their process, what you're building in psychology, we call this transference and counter transference. We're, we're at, a, at a deeper level we're establishing a connection because i'm not challenging anything they say i just want to understand as best i can where they're they're coming from now obviously some some people are going to be stoic and they're not going to reveal very much and and sometimes you know, some negotiations, you know, it, it's it, it, they're transactional and it's it's like, OK, you know, the car dealer, he's going to hit me up for twelve hundred dollars because that's what the this model car on average, they're going to hit you up for. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to try and negotiate. Um, but I, you know, I want to try to explore as much as I can. Uh, about them, I want to explore the words that they use. You know, you you, you said that you were troubled by this. What do you, What did you mean by troubled by it? Is it is it like an external? Is it internal? Um, is it um, you know? Uh, is it something else? So I use that information to to dig deeper, and the more they talk. The, the greater uh, the, the connection that there is, as long as, and this is critical, you remain neutral in its benign curiosity. Um, and, uh, and that's different than active listening. Um, benign curiosity is taxing. I, I had, a, well, you'll appreciate this because I, I know you read a, a lot of my stuff. I, I had a spy case one time where I had been interviewing this guy for hours and when we got up at the break, my partner looks at my back and she says, did you spill a drink? And I go, why? She says, you have sweat from your belt line all the way to your shoulders. <laughs> and I said, that's sweat. <laughs> that that I earned my money that day. Um, but That's where benign curiosity came in, because the worst thing I could have done was challenge a suspect. But by being benignly curious, I got him to talk in ever more details and never interrupted him once. I would just, well, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean by that? And I think it's a very effective uh, uh, tool to use.
0: This is great. Joe, I love this. I appreciate this, (laughs) and thank you for the the contributions that you've made to the the field over the years. And I am excited to promote this book, and hopefully, we can chat again soon in the future.
1: I hope so. I, you know, I I think the work that you do is is so great because I know you love knowledge and you share it, and uh, and I think that's the most magnificent thing that we can do. So thank you, thank you for having me.